Welcome to our first sermon for the year 2021. And it's January the 3rd, and once more we are in lockdown, and so once more we've got our, um, our sermons coming to you online rather than face-to-face. Let us just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, as we come to your scriptures, we pray today that you'll make them alive, that your Holy Spirit will give us insight into your will, and empower us to obey. Father God, may all that we do and say give you glory and honour and praise as King of Kings. Father, use your words this morning to impact people's lives. Amen. We're up to John the Baptist and we're up to Luke chapter 3. And at the beginning of it, there in 3 verse 1, it says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and then it goes and mentions six other leaders that lived at the time. So Luke was very uh, keen to be a historically accurate writer. Now, when was this written? Uh, Archaeologists believe it's somewhere between 27 and 29 AD. So it's a bit hard to pick some of the actual dates because uh, some of the information we've got is not as clear as we would like. Now, what type of leaders were they? There's there's six other leaders I mentioned. Now, Tiberius himself was an emperor and he was known for his cruelty and his severity. Now Pontius Pilate was renowned for his brutal massacres of the Jewish people in Judea and his insensitivity towards the Jews. Now the rulers of the family of Herod, that is Herod, Philip and Lysanias, were known for their corruption and their cruelty. It then goes and mentions two corrupt high priests and reminds us that the Jewish leaders were more interested in power politics than in serving God. So Jesus is born into a godless country with uncertain leadership while being under the control of the Roman Empire. And so what's the message that we receive? There in Luke 3, verse 3, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Very short, very clear, very concise, saying this is the purpose of John's preaching. Now repentance speaks of a change of direction. It is not just sorrow of the heart, that's just remorse. Now, baptism was a very common ritual for Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. Now, for a Jew to submit to baptism was saying something like this, I am so bad that I'm as bad as a heathen Gentile. This is a true mark of humble repentance. It's a radical rededication to God. And why was John preaching? He sees it that he's fulfilling prophecy. And if we turn back to the book of Isaiah, in the very beginning of Isaiah 40, now Isaiah 40 to 66 is the second major section of Isaiah and uh, quoting these verses at the beginning of Isaiah 40 makes us want to go back and look at all 26 chapters which you may want to do after the sermon. So there it says in Isaiah 40 verse 3. Now these verses, as we said, start the section of the 26 verses or 26 chapters. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness prepared the way of the Lord. Now the Lord here would have been God the Father. But here Luke changes it to say the Lord is actually Jesus, God the Son. So the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. So when Isaiah was writing this, what's he talking about? He's talking about people who have been taken off to distant lands and those who were uh, uh, hoping for them to return should go out 
and where there are hard parts of track, you repair the track and you improve it. So the way back to Israel is simple and clear. It's a bit like building a major expressway rather than using the old-fashioned country roads. It goes on verse 15, but uh, they're talking about is John the Baptist the Christ or is he something different? So the question in verse 15 so was, was John the Christ? And John responded by saying this, I baptise you with water, but he will come after me who will baptise with the Holy Spirit with fire. And so the baptism that John describes that Jesus brings is powerfully and significantly different. And of course, baptism with fire happens on the day of Pentecost. And therefore, we can see the Spirit of God being poured out upon all the church to both the young and old, to the rich, the poor, male and female. So what happens when Jesus is baptised? There in verse 21, Now when all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So here in the baptismal stories, we have a distinctive difference between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we need to say, so where does this idea of baptism come from? So we turn back to the Old Testament, it has images there, and some of the stories are used to uh, be linked to baptism. Now the first link is found in Noah, so if you go to Genesis chapter 6 to 9, God told Noah to build an ark to save himself, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Now Peter says that this baptism and this saving of Noah is a typology of baptism. So we see there in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. So the imagery is that they were saved through water, the same as baptism saves us. And then in verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the water is seen as just purely an act. The deeper, deeper meaning is that you have been restored and your sins have been forgiven. Now the second place in the Old Testament where the idea of baptism turns up is found in the book of Exodus. And it's the parting of the Red Sea. Now 1 Corinthians 10 says this about this parting. For I, know you to, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Why? Because the sea were parted and the uh, Israelites were able to escape. And in verses it says, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So there's a sense that they were saved at a point of utter despair. They were on the edge of the, uh, the water. They knew the Egyptian soldiers were going to come. If the soldiers came, they would have been massacred. And at that moment, God passed the sea and they escaped. And so in 1 Corinthians, in verse 10 there, Paul clearly reminds us that our escape from our sinful world is through the baptism given to us through Christ. Not because of the water, but because the underlying thing is that baptism represents Jesus dying on the cross for you and I. Now when the Ten Commandments were given, just before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, he commanded Israel to wash their clothes in water. There was a symbolic action. It wasn't because he wanted them to have clean clothes, 
to the image of him once more was to be forgiven. So there in Exodus 19 verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. <clears throat> now Moses sprinkled the people with blood and water. Now symbolically the shedding of blood, the remission of sins through water baptism. And so regularly we'll find uh, that people were sprinkled or washed with water in the Old Testament and it's always seen as imagery that their sins have been forgiven. So if we turn to the book of Hebrews, there in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, dealing only with food and drink and various washings. Now if you go to the Young's literal translation, it says different baptisms, because that's what the word means. So dealing only with food and drink and various baptisms or various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. In other words, we're saying these imageries are there and when Jesus comes, the new, uh, the new life, then there'll be a whole new fresh way for things to happen. So how else was the idea of baptism used in the Old Testament? If you were a leper, it says to us in Leviticus 14 verse 7, and he will sprinkle upon you that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean. Now, leprosy isn't cured by just pouring water over a person. The water being poured over was symbolic of the cure that would happen because God cures them. Now, it's also uh, predicted about this idea of baptism in the Old Testament. So if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, one of the predictions about baptism is this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart, I'll put a new spirit in you, I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the water that is sprinkled or poured upon us at baptism is a symbol of far deeper inner workings in our life. A new heart, a new spirit, the heart of stone being replaced with a heart of flesh. So the outward sign is baptism, the inward sign is transformation, repentance and forgiveness of sin. Now in the Old Testament, sprinkling blood was symbolised by water in the New Testament. So we go back once more to Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made for you. Now where was the sprinkling turn up? In Leviticus 16, 15. He shall then slaughter the goat. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. Now the atonement cover was a symbol of their sins being forgiven. Once a year the great high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle that blood upon the atonement lid and the atonement lid uh, within the box were things like the Ten Commandments. It was a symbol that God's power or God's covering uh, was there to forgive them of all their sins. Not something that they achieved, but something that God had given them. So there in Leviticus 16, 15, He shall then slaughter the goat. He shall sprinkle on the atonement cover and in front of it. Then in verse uh, 7 of Numbers 8, To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them, so they will purify themselves. So the sprinkling of water was symbolic of the sprinkling of blood. So blood equals water. 
And uh, so, yes, it's a sign, a sign of imagery for us. Now, when we turn to the New Testament, we find the Ethiopian eunuch had been reading through Isaiah 52 and 53. As a eunuch, he was obviously a wealthy man, and whilst he was in Jerusalem, he would have bought for him some handwritten copies of Old Testament books. And one of these books was Isaiah, and we've got chapter 40, uh, 52 and 53. And uh, from it, we'll find where he gets his idea of baptism from, because after he gets spoken to, the next response is, I'd like to be baptised. And uh, it's Isaiah 53 that had been explained to him. But the last verse of Isaiah 52, verse 15 says, that God, he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. And so the idea that if you were saved, you'd be sprinkled. Because being an Ethiopian eunuch, he was not an Israelite, he was not a Jew. And so he would have seen this as a promise to him, as, a, as an Ethiopian person from a distance. So how is our current salvation described for us? How is baptism described to us in the New Testament? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So what's the first and highest priority about baptism? Getting baptism is not just an outward sign. Baptism is an inner change of heart in response to repentance. So what do we do in baptism? Let us draw near to God. So the first thing we do is that baptism should make us want to consciously pray. And it says, what does what our attitude be? With a sincere heart. And it goes on to say, with the full assurance that faith brings. So our baptism should bring us the confidence that we are saved by grace. Not by our own doing, but that God has brought us fully into his kingdom. And how is it done? Have your heart sprinkled. Now when you get baptised, it's normally your head, your forehead gets sprinkled. But here in Hebrews it talks about your heart being sprinkled. It says it is a spiritual reality. And why do we get our heart sprinkled? To cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Why is our conscience uh, cleansed? Because we are forgiven. There's no reason for us to hold on to past things that we have done that are wrong. And having our bodies washed with pure water. So the water that is poured on us is a symbol of being clean, but it's not clean on the outside. It's a cleanliness that is found on the inside. Now Peter takes up the same idea in 1 Peter 1 2. Who has been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. Now, we never sprinkle anybody with blood. We sprinkle with water. So the sprinkling with water, the water symbolises the blood. And then we see there in the, on the day of Pentecost, on Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 17, the idea of sprinkling is used often in the New Testament and Old Testament. But when it comes to baptism, the idea of pouring water onto a person is also seen. So there in Acts 2, 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So the imagery of baptism is water being poured upon your head. Or as the Apostle Paul says to us in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has, poured, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Once more it says, 
that the outward sign is, is water. The inward sign is a changed heart that God is working with the innermost being, uh, our inner soul, the very essence of who we are. And that same theme is taken up when Paul wrote to Titus in 3, uh, verse 4. And there it says in verse 5, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Thus he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Saviour. So the image of baptism in sin is being washed, is being poured, and elsewhere sin is being sprinkled. Now this morning our reference is John Baptist and his baptism of Jesus, which was powerful. And, uh, and the first question is, so when John baptised, why would you go out to be baptised if you were Jewish? Why would you take a baptism that was normally for Gentiles? It's because John was saying to the people, we have strayed so far. We are so distant from where God wants us to be that we need to do a powerful sign and this baptism is a true sign for you. And this Old Testament sign of baptism becomes one of the two sacraments that we have in the New Testament. We have baptism, which is a one-off event, and then we have the Lord's Supper, which is a regular event. Now when we have Jesus being baptised, we'll look at that uh, further down the track. And the next thing is that Jesus' disciples also baptised. So we find there in John 4 verse 1. Now when Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptising more disciples than John, it then says in paragraph to us in uh, the next verse, although Jesus himself did not baptise, but only his disciples. So it was obviously a ministry that Jesus gave to them. Now the last way that baptism is used is Jesus' death upon the cross. So this is the fifth way. It says to us in Mark 10.38, You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with baptism I'm being baptised with? They responded, We can. Then Jesus said, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with baptism I am baptised with. And then we have the idea of uh, the baptism after Jesus has been baptised, after his ascension. On the day he's about to be ascended to heaven, Jesus' final words to his disciples are these in Matthew 28 verse 18. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The idea of Trinity is given to us. As I said earlier, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism, which we'll do now. The first question we're going to ask ourselves is, why did Jesus get baptised? It was to identify with sinners, because Jesus himself is not a sinner. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, that Jesus had been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. In 1 Peter 2, 22, Jesus committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And in 1 John 3, 5, the Apostle John tells us that in him is no sin. So Jesus did it for identity. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' baptism was on our behalf and when we get baptised we take on his sinlessness on his behalf. The second reason Jesus got baptised was the priestly function. Now John uh, tells us that, uh, as a, just a, by the way, that uh, Jesus is 30 years of age. 
Now, 30 years of age is an age that you get to become a priest in the Old Testament. So let's go back to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, see what it says. Now it came about when all the people were baptised that Jesus also was baptised. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. <clears throat> and a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. The same age that you become a priest. Now if we turn to uh, Exodus 29, it talks about sprinkling there. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, as in the priests, so that they may serve me as priests. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. So when the water was poured on Jesus' head in baptism, that was symbolic of the oil being poured on his head to be consecrated for the priesthood. Because the three things that the New Testament tells about Jesus, that Jesus came as our prophet, our priest, and our king. So there in Numbers 8 to 7, and thus you shall do to them with the cleansing, sprinkle, purifying water on them. So Jesus being sprinkled at baptism is symbolic of a priestly function. And the last part of the uh, baptism talks about blessing. And one of the most famous blessings we have in the Old Testament is found in Numbers chapter 6 verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So what is the blessing that Jesus receives? Matthew 3.17 Behold, a voice came out of heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus' ministry was authenticated by God. So going back to Luke 3, it says there in verse 16, When Jesus was baptised, immediately he came out of the water, and the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus being called beloved Son happens to a couple of times in the Bible. So the transfiguration there in Matthew 17, it says, While he's speaking... Behold, a bright cloud overshadowing them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When Jesus dies upon the cross, there in John 12, 25, Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. So you and I are tied to the Father. He goes on to verse 27 to say, The Son of Man will be lifted up. There in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for, but before this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So at different times in the New Testament, God speaks and powerfully tells us that Jesus is his son. So from this sermon, what things can we draw? Have you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Have you had the sign of baptism, not just of your body, as in water, but of your very heart? Have you repented and asked Jesus to be Lord? You and I are called to do this. We're called to have a passion for Jesus, 
to be holy and to be set apart. And baptism is the sign of that. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, if we haven't asked you to be Lord, then today we ask you to be the Lord of our life. Father, come into our life, take control of it all. Father, we give everything we are to you. And we recognise that our forgiveness comes about because Jesus has died on the cross on our behalf. Father, may each day we live be holy and set apart for you. Father God, consecrate us for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye-bye.